and we're Kerber's Kids. The Kids Talk, your monthly graphic novel review. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we delve into our graphic novel of the month for September. Yes, September of 2022 <laughs> was Attack on Titan. And this has really become such a popular modern manga and anime series. A little encapsulation here in this post-apocalyptic sci-fi story. Humanity has been devastated by the bizarre giant humanoids known as the Titans. Little is known about where they came from or why they are bent on consuming mankind. Seemingly unintelligent, they have roamed the world for years, killing everyone they see. For the past century, what's left of man has hidden in a giant three-walled city. People believe that a 100-meter-high walls will protect them from the Titans, but sudden appearance of an immense Titan is about to change everything. Now, this was a winner of the 2011 Kanasha Manga Award from Shonen, nominated for the prestigious Asomo Tezuka Cultural Prize for 2020, 2012. And we read Volume 1, which is uh, 203 pages, published by uh, Konasha Comics in July of 2013, written and illustrated, of course, by Hajime Asayama. And here today to help review Attack on Titan is Doc. Doc, how are you? I am great, Angus. This has been, this has been a really fun to read. My first four-way into manga so i was really excited and the other the addition to it was it's my daughter's favorite um manga series so i was excited to read it so i could kind of see what 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 it was about it that she loved and now i can i totally get it <laughs> that it's a it's just a really fun fast-paced story that uh has some elements a little bit of the a uh, couple different genres in there that makes it just really fun and it'll blend really well together as well yeah, it is an amazing and very effective mashup of genres that speaks to Hajime Asayama's sensibilities and mm-hmm. influences. And what's really crazy about this is that we're talking about an author, illustrator, which, by the way, is very common within manga mm-hmm. uh, to, for that to be all encompassed into one being because, let's face it, manga is so heavily reliant on illustrative storytelling even more so than western comics and he today is still a young man he's only 36 years old he started conceptualizing this series as a teenager which we'll delve into when we get into his background and a little creative chatter but for right now doc what i'd like to do is head into a little kirby kernel a little kernel of knowledge about our namesake Jack and address when Titans clash. Hey, Wilford, fire up the tractor. Time to harvest another Kirby Kernel. All right, Doc, here we are in our Kirby Kernel. And, you know, I always love to tie in our graphic novel with something about Jack and. You know, Jack does have quite a bit in common with 
manga as far as his love and appreciation for it. But, you know, frankly, when I was looking at our author and also our um, topic here with Attack on Titan, uh, one thing really came to mind, and that was larger than life characters. And mm -hmm. indeed, Jack was about that. As a matter of fact, Jack was about not only larger than life, but mythological and godlike characters. So when Titans clash, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby established one of the most powerful friendships of the Marvel Universe back in 1965's Journey into Mystery, Annual Number One, when they had Thor and Hercules first meet one another. The tale began with Odin's son and his half-brother Loki riding through Jotunheim, home of the Storm Giants. As it happened, they stumbled upon a few of the locals trying to find a hidden path to Olympus. Legend had it that these behemoths earned expulsion from that other fabled city's eons prior and intended to return to exact some vengeance. In his zeal to protect another god-filled place, Thor smashed his hammer into the ground, which did the trick of dispersing the storm giants, but also sent him tumbling into Olympus itself. I mean, wow, talk about a <laughs> absolutely huge piece of Marvel mythology. You know, we would know that Hercules would come into play here, not only in the Thor series, but then later in West Coast Avengers. And, you know, we actually got a sneak peek in the last uh, Thor movie, Love and Thunder, of the appearance first of Hercules and the teasing there of Hercules and maybe a final meeting and clashing initially of Thor and continuing that out. So indeed, this was a huge impact. And when we're talking about very powerful characters, these are indeed another type of Titans, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, that then have really painted the way for these larger than life characters in comic books. Well, Doc, now that we've delved into our Kirby Colonel, let's head over to a little creative chatter about right. our writer and illustrator, Hajime Asayama. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Creative chatter. Hajime Asayama was born in August of 1986 and is a Japanese manga artist. His first series, his very first series is his, talk about hitting a home run right out of the box, <laughs> no kidding. Was, was Attack on Titan and became one of the best-selling manga series of all time with over 110 million copies, over 110 million copies in circulation today. Okay, Asayama was born in Ayama, Oita, Japan. After graduating from Oita Prefectural Hitakanuru High School, he matriculated in the cartoon design program of the cartoon arts department of Keyushu designer Kokian. After graduating, he moved to Tokyo and started drawing his manga works. In 2006, he applied for the Magazine Grand Prix, also known as MGP that is promoted by Kodanasha. And his work, Attack on Titan, was given the Fine Work Award. Originally, he offered his work to the weekly Shonen Jump Department at Shueisha, 
where he was advised to modify his style and story to be more suitable for Weekly Shonen Jump. He declined, and he decided to take it to the Weekly Shonen Magazine department at Kodanasha instead. And boy, would that ever be proven to be massively fruitful. In 2008, he applied for the 80th Weekly Shonen Magazine Freshman Manga Award, where his work, Heartbreak One, was given the Special Encouragement Award. His other work, Ords, was chosen as a selected work in the 81st Show, Show, Weekly Shonen Magazine Freshman Manga Award. Then, in 2009, his first serial work, Attack on Titan, appeared in the Basatsu Shonen Magazine, which is a monthly magazine. In 2011, Attack on Titan was awarded the 35th Kodanasha Manga Award in the Shonen category. It spawned a very successful anime series, which now comes close to wrapping up here during this year. Now, what's very interesting, Doc, is Asayama has named the manga Jojo's Bizarre Adventure as one of his favorite series when he was growing up, which just so happens to be our manga graphic novel of the month for this coming up September in 2023. So, Doc, very common for popular manga is to have an anime either being done in parallel or coming very close to the launch of the popular manga series. And it appears here, like many other before it, but really on a far different scale. You have Attack on Titan hitting its stride both as a very popular manga but also anime series too and doc i can't help but notice the parallels here of his life here asiyama's life and one of maybe a robert kirkman perhaps and his walking dead yeah just absolute cultural changing success I think there's a lot of like a lot of parallels there. I think both of them they had such um, they believed in their project so much that neither one of them like like you mentioned like they said oh you need to change some things to make it more of a this weekly kind of thing. And he's like no, and he went on to the next place. And I think uh, you know Kirkman did the same kind of thing. He was so um, I think he really believed in what he was doing. Um, both of these 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 two artists that um, you know they. They stuck to it, and I, I'm, I'm so glad they did because we got something that has been unaltered by the bean counter kind of thing, you know, where it, they may not be looking at the creative aspect of it. They're probably looking at the marketability of it and, you know, can we do this in a weekly thing that people are going to stay interested in? Um, and these two are like, yeah, I think what we have here is something amazing, and we're going to do it my way, or I'll just go to the next place and try to sell it there. And that's, I, I think it's a makes me makes me feel great when i read stories like that it's uh you can see the same thing when stallone was shopping around rocky you know he would not compromise on that movie he believed in it so much and he thought we have a hit here i think it's going to be amazing i want to direct it and same kind of thing happened they stuck to it and they ended up making something really fantastic so it's it's really nice i love it when artists get their way because oftentimes we don't see that happen a lot in this industry and so when it happens and they hit these home runs like this it's it's really it, it's just kind of it's kind of great to see doc i think you hit the nail on the head there because you know 
so much of the entertainment industry is formulaic nowadays. Let's just call mm-hmm. it like it is, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, and nothing groundbreaking is truly iterative. It's normally something that just breaks through or or just, you know, kicks in the front door and says, okay, look at me. I'm different. I'm something special here. I'm breaking convention. And, you know, you, you talk about, hitting a home run i mean my gosh over 110 <laughs> million copies that's amazing in circulation and then if you look at the streaming numbers alone okay and the licensing off of the attack on titan anime and how many different languages mm-hmm. it's been dubbed in it's it's unbelievable the amount of success that this series has had and credit to like you said asiyama here because he knew that his vision is what needed to ultimately be delivered in order for this thing to succeed or fail and that anything short of that would be unsatisfactory and even at a young age, I got to credit him for having the intestinal fortitude to literally stick to his guns here and and allow this thing to be seen uh, the way it should be. And I think he has taken a lot of care to make sure that the anime has been a faithful adaptation of his original vision within the manga. He has been very instrumental in driving the story arcs over in the anime, part of the writer's room over there. I think he even has producer credits there too, which is great. And he has said in most recent interviews, as he's finally now come over to the States and is meeting his fans here in the, you know, 2020s, you know, post the, uh, the, the pandemic that he he's burned out. He's tired. Yeah. In fact, he even said, "Hey, you know, I once I'm, I'm I'm I I don't know what the next project is. I haven't even conceived it yet. No, by the way, you know what? I think I'd like to go buy a sauna and run it. You know, for <laughs> I just he literally wants a change of profession yeah. just to get a mental break because he says the the stress of having to produce so many pages and the story arc there and then his involvement over in the anime and making sure that that got delivered correctly literally has taken a toll on him but that toll that it's taken however has translated into some very compelling storytelling both within the manga and then the faithful adaptation over in the anime so he's sitting in a pretty good position right now where he can probably he probably has the choice of whatever project he wants to do again um and like you said he's so young that he could take a little bit of time and really figure it out you know does it is it a new project he wants to do or you know does he may, maybe when he gets away from it he'll want to revisit attack on titan again who knows but it's i think he's sitting in probably the best situation that any comic book artist could be in that he probably has the world open to him right now where he can do whatever he wants in his next move maybe it's a sauna maybe it's not <laughs> yeah it, it, exactly and you know what's been very interesting for readers of the series and mind you we're only going to be delving into the first two well i i guess it's the first story arc but it's the first four sections yeah. from that story arc that's in the manga but uh, within these chapters. So it's basically the first four chapters is what we'll be delving into. But once he started getting into 
the the hundreds as far as chapters are concerned there are many series that run stale because they just go too long yeah, or they've yeah. lost they've lost the uh, story arc thread or the characters become less compelling and he has said that in 2016 he watched all six seasons of game of thrones available at the time to him and became an avid fan and he even did some fan art based off of it and he has said that from chapter 110 of this series says strongly resembles the game of thrones character of uh Jeff joffrey baratheon and then he also in chapter 111 children of the forest is potentially a reference to the children of the forest from games of thrones game of thrones so he actually took some inspiration from game of thrones and then translated those inspirations into his attack on titan world and apparently it's done this to great effect i have not read the entire series here but this makes me look forward to mm-hmm. reading the entire manga series knowing that he has some of these game of thrones inspirations thrown into this series and that's one thing which he has been unabashedly honest about calling out what his influences have been and how he has been in a very creative way been able to turn it into his own art I mean, so let, let's get this straight, folks. These are not straight lifting of things and inserting them into his world. Right. These are translations. These are inspirations that have then led to some really compelling characters and storytelling to take place on Attack on Titan. Doc, with that said, let's head over to our literary aisle to discuss the story and the art and some thoughts on the anime of Attack on Titan. Sounds good. Land ho! There's our literary aisle. All right, Doc. Now that we're on our literary aisle, what were your general impressions of this first volume of Attack on Titan, where we get essentially the first four story arcs? And I'm just going to call out the story arcs to mm-hmm. begin with, and, and then we can you know, dive in once we've gotten your initial impressions. So in the first story arc, we have to you in 2000 years, the fall of um, Shinashing part one. And from there, we end up going to that day, which is chapter two, into night of the disband ceremony. And then finally into first battle. So really leading up to a a, a pretty amazing uh, chapter. So Doc, first, and this is this was pretty amusing when we were first starting the read and going back and forth. Uh, you said you had to consult with your daughter with regard to okay, how <laughs> the heck do I read this book? Well, I, I'd like you to kind of share that anecdote with everyone. Yeah, I, you know, I I knew she she told me before about you know how it's like kind of like the opposite of what we're used how you were used to reading a book, and uh, and so I just kind of picked it up and I wasn't paying attention. I just opened it like I would in an an English style book, and you know it didn't did nothing made sense because I started basically on the last on the last page of the last story in the volume, and I'm like, oh, is this gonna be one of these books where you, it's all flashbacks? And I, then all of a sudden, I got a really like. I was dreading reading it, and then my daughter saw me reading it the wrong way, and she kind of flipped it around. 
And I go, oh, right, 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 right. So it's, you know, it's that, it's that kind of, you know, in, from the American perspective, the, the opposite way of reading the book. And um, it's, uh, I, I, I just, I loved it as soon as soon, I sat down to read the, the first chapter. And um, um, I think I read the first three, like, in one sitting because it was it's a super fast read there's so much uh, it's just really fast paced and uh just really catching um but the story kind of throws you in um there's a there's a lot of names being thrown at you in, in first but just like any other story you just gotta you know the more you, the, you just read on and then there was then there was there's a few names that always pop out over and over again so um yeah that was that was my delve into it that i thought it was going to be um um kind of like this flashback story where you start at the end and you work your way back. I'm like, oh boy. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was quickly remedied. Thank God my daughter uh, walked around, walked by me when I was reading it. <laughs> you gotta love that. You gotta love that. And that, that is the, the, uh, the experience. And mm -hmm. if, and if someone who, who didn't grow up in Japan and be surrounded by manga, uh, every one of us here in the West, when they first start out reading manga, uh, falls trapped to that. Yeah. Um, it's it, it, you know it, it happened to me initially too when I first started getting into manga. So it's it's just one of those things that it's kind of a rite of passage, you know. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I wanted to to bring that up. So in in general terms, then once you started getting into the read, what what were your general impressions of this first volume? Where was it gripping? Were you um, did it take a while for you to get into it? How, what was what was the experience for you? I pretty much got into it immediately. I mean, they have a lot of, uh, you know, the, you don't have to wait. There's no teasing about, you know, we're going to wait seven chapters until we introduce the Titans because that's the whole thing. And blah, blah. No, you kind of get like a, almost an instant, um, like a little bit of a history lesson um, that was done well. It wasn't just an info dump. Um, and, uh, and then you, you kind of learn about the Titans, but very vaguely, you know, just know that these, these creatures that are just, they, they've basically taken over the world and they've terrorized humans and they're eating humans and nobody knows where they came from, what they're doing, what they want. They're just there. And, um, you know, we, you know, we le very learn over, I think it's, we pretty get a, a good idea over the first four. Um, I may go ahead because I did end up reading the, the whole first three volumes of it, which were the first 13 chapters. But in the first four, I think we get a pretty good history lesson of like that these, these um, what's less of humanity is living behind these concentric walls um, that are, you know, to protect them from the, uh, from the Titans. And uh, they have like a military that's kind of divided into, I think it's a made basically like three major um, sections one one goes out into the real world and tries to do like recon and tries to figure out what's going on with these titans who they are how we can beat them and the other other two are kind of more they're protecting the humans inside those circles and, and everything and uh it just grabbed me immediately i was instantly hooked like i said i read the first three chapters back to back and i didn't even realize it it was just turning those pages um furiously so my first impression was was great if you're if you're hesitant about you know jumping into something like this, this is this is a good one to get into because it it grabs you almost instantly. Yeah, Doc, I had a very similar experience. I was immediately drawn in. The illustrative style that you have here from uh, Asiyama is just really compelling. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in most manga, you, it's rare to get a full blown color because when manga's first introduced or new series. It's for a black and white uh, publication to keep the costs down, typically. Mm -hmm. And this is really effective pen and inks. I mean, just amazing here. And the 
you, you first get the feeling that, okay, am I being thrown into a fantasy world? And then you go, okay, it, 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 are there some elements here of maybe science fiction? You're asking yourself. And then you quickly realized, oh my gosh, I have just been immersed into a full blown horror scenario. It really is. <laughs> and, 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 and it is, it is apocalyptic mm -hmm. in its nature here. It, it is a disaster film of disaster films too, on top of yeah. it. I mean, it, it's amazing. And, and Doc, just to give the audience here a little insight of where you're thrust in, into all of this. And this comes from, to you, 2,000 years from now. The Survey Corps are shown outside of Wall Maria attempting to take down a Titan. They position their attacks and go in for the kill. But then inside uh, the Shinganisha district, uh, Mikasha Ackerman wakes Aaron Yeager from a long dream before they walk back to town. On their way back from gathering firewood, they run into members of the garrison. These are all the folks who were outside the wall, okay? Including their friend, Hans. Aaron remarks that they smell of alcohol and are unfit to guard the walls before leaving, angry. On the way, Aaron and Mikasa watch the survey corps now returning. And they're returning back into the fortification here, these three wall fortification, uh, you know, city, mm -hmm. uh, absolutely bloodied and horrified. Uh, they, they are, Aaron is in shock and how bad the, these folks look beat up. A woman is looking for her son and is given only his arm. I mean, this is brutal <laughs> by the commander. And she asked if her son was helpful, but then the commander very sober, weeps and tells her that they learned nothing again. And when Aaron and Mikasa arrive home, his mother, Carly Yeager, scolds him for wishing to join the Survey Corps. And Aaron's father, Dr. Yeager, leaves for work, telling his son that he will show him what is in the basement when he returns. Aaron's mother scoffs. At the idea, and he runs off only to find his friend Armin Arlet being beaten by bullies. After Mikasa scares them off, the three debate their views about leaving the walls until they hear a loud bang and run to the town, only to see this Colossus Titan peering over the walls at them as he kicks through the gate. I mean, Holy mackerel. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely terrifying. And, and, and illustrated mm -hmm. to the most wondrous effects here on these pages. I, I, I was just gripped by the, the menacing nature, not only the size here as a reader. When you're looking at these panels, you, you feel overwhelmed at the size of these titans. But then when you start to focus in on the uh, facial features and the bodies, I mean, Doc, these these titans are almost like walking cadavers. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's 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 very Cronenberg esque. I mean, these are like walking body horror. And what was really cool too, it's like there's not they're 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 horrifying in their simplicity as well. They're not like these 
these demons that have all these different features on them and you know they they've got these crazy claws and these big huge teeth they're just they're very like uh under underdone where it's like they're they're kind of plain looking almost but like you said they're still like they look like walking cadavers so in their simplicity they're horrifying in their simplicity too because they they kind of look like oh we could just knock these guys down but obviously their side their sheer size and everything but it, that that was also grabbed me i loved how simple he made them look but they were both terrifying and simple at the same time yeah and and doc that that simplicity translated to you know, barbaric practices mm-hmm. here of mm-hmm. sweeping up these these ineffectual uh, humans here in this town, and and then literally biting down on them, chomping down on them. And I remember there there were panels where all you saw was blood splatter. Yeah. yeah. And what's crazy about this is that you know you and I have talked about this many a time that sometimes it's most effective not to show the horror but to suggest what is happening mm. yeah. in horror. And I, I think that Asiyama did an incredible job here. Uh, just, just in this first uh, chapter of really instilling that uh, feeling of gloom and doom in you of like, Oh my gosh, here, here are a bunch of lambs, these humans in, in this city just being left to, to be slaughtered by these yeah. titans as they're literally eating them up and 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 smashing them and it, it was like wow this is this is some crazy stuff it, it, it was outrageous at points uh, I, I think it's also important in the beginning too that we we see that um there was a hundred years of there was no titan sightings there were no like uh, there were no attacks on the on the human compound for like a hundred years. That's why those guards were probably drinking because they're like, ah, oh, we haven't seen them in a hundred years. You know, it's not going to happen today and things like that. So it's like you know, and then and then you start thinking, well, are these are these titans like calculating? And are you know, did they do this on purpose to let the humans put their um, um to put their guard down so they can you know easily attack and everything like that? So it's it's kind of cool how he sets up all these little mysteries. You're getting a good vision of everything. You're getting to see the titans almost instantly, um, but there's a, a whole lot of uh, this really black cloud hanging over everything. It's like how smart are these? We don't know anything about them. Where they come from? Are they aliens that came down? Are they mutated? What what's going on here? And, and things like that. So it's I love that air of uncertainty but you also get some, some you know a really good solid background like i thought it was uh i thought it was really interesting it's somewhere in those first four issues that we read or chapters that we read um where the uh, some of the younger kids like aaron and and uh and mikasa and everything they're talking about like they want to they possibly want to leave the compound to go out in the real world because they heard about these things called oceans that's just full of water and you know they don't know anything about the world because they have been born and raised inside this compound so they have no idea and that that young kind of um um explorer kind of attitude kind of overcomes these some of these youngsters and uh they want to they said i'd rather die out there than you know than than live you know my the rest of my life and die inside this compound and i thought that was pretty interesting because it's like you know they're living on this they don't they have no idea how big the planet is and all these little things that they don't understand and know and what they've heard uh, about the outside world so it's uh, i like that i like that pull of that like they want to be these like kind of explorers, but they also know the the deadly dangers that are waiting for them outside there. Yeah, Doc, that attitude 
expressed there by our young characters, Aaron Mikasa is very reminiscent of Luke Skywalker yeah, and Star yeah. Wars, basically saying, Hey, totally. I want to get off of Tatooine. I want to see more of the galaxy. I want to get off this rock here because this is basically all I've known. You know, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Yeah. So here is this basically homogenized in a vacuum kept safe world that they've been living in behind these walls. And there's just a natural curiosity as to mm -hmm. what's the rest of this world out there. And what's been passed down from generation to generation is that there, look, there's these vicious Titans that are out there that are going to eat you alive and that we have to stay safe in order to stay alive because apparently the rest of the world has been devastated by these Titans. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. <laughs> well, if all you've known is the safety and security here of being behind these three walls in this city, then sure, natural curiosity of young people is really going to be pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. So with that, Doc, we, we get in that first chapter, the introduction of the big bad, these titans. Mm -hmm. Then in the second chapter, I think we take a turn inward to the inhabitants of the city and what they are going through under this new threat and duress. So this Colossus Titan that had basically kicked down this wall is now rampaging throughout the city. And Aaron runs to his house, fearing that his mom was struck down by the debris of, of the buildings being knocked down and the wall coming down. And he finds her trapped under their house and tries to lift it with Mikasa's help when Hans arrives, claiming that he will kill the oncoming Titan. But he succumbs to his own fear and takes the children away, essentially leaving the mom there. They didn't have time to get her out from underneath the house. Now, while running, Aaron sees his mother crushed to death and then eaten. And this is just brutal. Afterward, Aaron strikes Hans and blames him for the loss of his mother until Hans tells him they could not have saved her and takes both of the kids to boats. Oh, wait a second. The first introduction of water. So we actually have a waterway that mm. runs into this city and apparently leads out. Okay. There's an armored Titan appears and destroys the main gate. And then Aaron is horrified and vows that he will wipe out all the Titans. Now we jump five years later, Aaron, Mikasa, and Armin, and their fellow soldiers graduate from the 104th training corps. So we have a, a time jump here, Doc, but we also have basically the background story, the fear of this city that had been untampered with by the Titans, all of a sudden now coming under attack, the, uh, the, the crisis that is happening, the fighting for survival, and now the transformation of these younger people into now soldiers graduating from the 104th Training Corps. Yeah, we, we have our Bruce Wayne moment where he sees his parents, yeah. well, one parent in particular, and uh, anyway, you, you see that vow revenge, and it's, you know, you kind of, you feel for him because it's a very, it's a very emotional point. He just saw his mother get crushed and then eaten, um, but then it's also like, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, how are you going to fight the, the these titans uh, and, and things like that? So it's kind of like you feel for him because he wants that revenge, but it's like, 
it's like, wow, what, how, how, how are you going to do this? So uh, I think that was, I think that was really smart place to put in a five year time jump so we can see them, you know, graduating, um, like you said, the military, uh, academy and, um, and they like graduate in the top of their class. So they get to kind of choose which, which, which part of the military they want to be in. And of course he takes the, uh, the most, the most, um, um, dangerous one, which is the survey crew, uh, is survey, survey, survey corps. Corp. And uh, because they're the ones that go outside the walls and they actually go down and they try to hunt down some of these um, titans. And, you know, I, I, I thought I wrote the exact number down, but I know they mentioned somewhere in these first four chapters that um, every titan they kill, it takes X amount of human beings that they lose to kill one titan. And I'm gonna, I want to—I don't know why the number 30 sticks in my mind. I could be wrong on that, but I like that they gave you that stat. So it's like, because it kind of answers, well, why don't they just go out there and kill these titans? Well, that's because for every titan they bring down, it, it costs somewhere between 15 and 30 humans that they lose along the way too because they're so hard to kill. If I'm correct, I believe there's one little soft spot like in the back of their neck that they're able to penetrate um, that can bring them down. But So it's kind of, again, it kind of reminds me of the Star Wars with, you know, the end of uh, A New Hope where they're trying yep. to get that, the laser beam into that little into the air duct kind of thing. So it's kind of cool, little similarities like that. And it's, uh, I thought it was really, really well done with that because like you feel his pain and you, you, you get his anger and wanting that revenge, but it's like, how are you going to do this, dude? And so it's right. like interesting to see his, uh, his evolution in the story. Yeah, they, they definitely uh, give you the, the the weakness there, you know, the one torpedo down the air shaft yeah. uh, scenario. And Doc, you just perfectly described what Chapter 3 was all about as far as them graduating and deciding, okay, what branch of the military are they going to go into? And it was basically out of uh, love and respect and at the same time wanting to stick together almost like as a, a new family uh, of these younger people. They all go with Aaron into the Survey Corps, which couldn't be any more dangerous. Yeah. And in there, Aaron immediately then targets uh, the Colossus Titan, the, the one that had actually come in and, and you know devastated his city, ultimately killing his mother. And it's unsuccessful as it disappears in, in steam and chaos erupts at headquarters where the newly graduated trainees are forced into battle uh, due to the shortage of soldiers. And uh, Mikasa is separated from Aaron as she's assigned to the elite squad in the rear guard to protect civilians. And there's a brief flashback to the trainee's classroom and it reveals little information humanity has obtained so far on the Titans. And Doc, I think that's where the data dump was as yeah, far as yeah. how many humans it took to actually bring down one of these things. And then yeah. afterward, uh, Aaron and his group move out as the middle guard, foolishly confident, and things begin to fall apart real fast. And real fast. they're eaten one by one. It's really brutal. And Armin is and the last one alive, and he's uninjured and is paralyzed in, in horror until he too is grabbed by a titan. And driven by their dream to leave the walls one day, Aaron musters the strength to save him just in time, but sacrificing himself in the process. Okay, Doc, number number one, this is really courageous. <laughs> you, you, you've you got um, you know Asiyama here, uh, taking main characters and, and and letting you know as a reader, you know what, there, there there's consequences here, and, mm -hmm. and you may you may lose these characters in death. Yep. Yeah. So uh, he he is really pulling no punches with regard to the lethality reveals in this series, and it services the story beautifully. He is mm -hmm. not afraid to lose characters in service of the story. 
which frankly, in this day and age, Doc, of resurrecting characters that audiences get emotionally attached to, that's mm -hmm. a really courageous thing to do. It is. So I have absolutely. nothing but respect for him uh, going this route in order to effectively tell this story and really, really take you on an emotional journey as a reader. It's there's no doubt it with just reading these first four chapters alone, you you, you could tell the uh, the power that this that the the author has as a storyteller. He's he's fantastic. I love I love when writers set up stories where you know at any time any character can die. It doesn't matter if they're first build and if they've been the main focus. You know I, that just adds this sense of doom over every. You never know from what page to the next what's going to happen. I think another really important thing in that when we were doing the summaries in episode number three or chapter three, um, they also at the very end of the chapter they kind of just mention they talk about Aaron's dad how he disappeared um, on the attack that killed his mother and no one knows where he went. He's a doctor. And uh, they just kind of assume he was in another part of the uh, of the compound, like maybe you know attending to a a, a patient or something. But I think this is going to have a big uh, a big play. I think his dad is going to is going to because remember he has this he has a secret basement that nobody was allowed into, and he was going to finally share what was in that basement with Aaron when he came back from this um, before that attack happened. So um, we've watched a lot of horror movies to know I, uh, we're being set up. I, I think the father's going to have a really big part in this somehow down the road. <laughs> They're setting. Yeah. It up for that way <laughs> and uh, and and doc if i'm not mistaken the, the the father's actually a doctor correct yes yes yeah so so okay so i think we're we're going to be approaching maybe frankenstein's moment maybe perhaps. i think so that's you my know? guts telling me and, that and, yeah. and, and, and i didn't read ahead here mm -hmm. i i i kept to just this first volume now i know you on the other hand because <laughs> you had direct access because of your daughter's passion for this series you actually did read ahead to several of the other volumes and i'd love to get now your impressions of that and and how strong the quality of the storytelling was once you got beyond this first volume. So to kind of give our listeners here an idea of what they can expect if they fully end up committing to the series after uh, enjoying the read after volume one. Yeah, the uh, I read uh, in the first book that I have, it's the first three volumes. So that comes out to 13 chapters total. And um, uh, read through all, I just, I just couldn't put it down after that. So, and I, I could tell you that it does not, ease up at all after episode four or chapter four it the storytelling goes great we still don't know even by the end of chapter 13 um we, we i don't i i believe we have not yet seen um the doctor father yet so he's still kind of missing and uh but we we do there's a huge revelation in there that it's it wouldn't be a huge spoiler but i think i'll, I'll save it because I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody there's a huge revelation with one of the characters um, that has a really big impact on the overall story, and it, it adds a lot of drama and and really just flat out mystery to it. So it's uh, it it does not ease up at all. This is this is storytelling that's like going 100 miles an hour the whole time. I have not seen any breaks in the action. Um, we I, I also like in between some of the chapters, at least in the volume that I have. I'm I'm hoping that you have the same thing, Angus. There's like a page. There's like a, a like a, a breakout page where we'll talk about the different technology that the uh, like the the characters are using to um, to kill the titans and everything. So it's it's really cool. It's like the the current 
what is it, the currently publicly available information on the yes. weight shifting equipment. And it's just really cool how he like breaks that down. And it's almost like a blueprint that's showing you, oh, here's the patent for this this device that they use. Because the Titans are so tall, they need to be able to get up to their necks. So they, they have these little devices that they can use. And I love those breakout pages because it really gives, without having to break up the actual storytelling in the actual chapters, it's in, in between chapters and you can get this little information done, but it doesn't kill the flow of the story i thought that was a brilliant move um and those are really cool as well but yeah the story just kept we keep getting some uh characters introduced and the uh the bloodshed does not ease up nothing eases up it's just like i said 100 miles an hour storytelling and it, it is fantastic if you do invest in this you won't be disappointed um at least not for the first three volumes that's all i can vouch for um uh, really fun and really uh really takes you on a roller coaster ride it's it's a really fun book Doc, you brought up an absolutely brilliantly insightful point here that I, I just want to put a massive exclamation point on, and that is the incredible way in which Asiyama doled out information. Mm. We, 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 prior to rolling the recording here, Doc and I were reviewing our notes and comparing our notes, and I had brought up as well as Doc had too, that one thing we've greatly appreciated about very good comic book writers is that they work harmoniously with their illustrators. Now, you have one in the same here in Asiyama. And I am certain Asiyama, wanting to preserve his visual storytelling, created this wonderful device which are these pages about the information that is known to humans at the time about the Titans and the technology that, that they're using, not the Titans, but the humans in order yeah. to combat the Titans. And the fact that these get dedicated pages, which are essentially really well-detailed schematics of what's being employed then in the story is really helpful contextually to the reader to understand the complex nature of what these humans are having to battle here and how they they have had to overcome their challenge here technologically speaking just logistically speaking because you're talking about this this massive threat huge threat size wise that they're having to go up against and how they are just overwhelmed by what they're having to face. And yeah. I, it's, it's just done so effectively well uh, by Asiyama on those pages. And I, I love that because it just gave me a more information then to become emotionally invested further in the story and the characters. And he very adeptly anticipates the questions that would naturally come to a reader's mind once they've mm -hmm. gotten through a particular section uh, of the book and then immediately addresses it in you know this, these information uh, pages, these schematics. Just, just great, great stuff. I absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. So, Doc, with you having read ahead, I ended up reading and viewing in parallel, meaning this. I took in the first season of Attack on Titan, which currently in the United States can be viewed on Hulu if you have a Hulu subscription. 
even the most basic uh, there. And uh, I, I was absolutely blown away by the anime. The anime was overseen, I know, by Asiyama. He was not only there as a consultant, I believe he did partake in the writer's room at various times. The scripting for the anime, uh, and, and this may be because of uh, it being translated, dubbed, and I, I, I did not watch the native uh, Japanese with subtitles. I, I actually viewed it in its dubbed format because you have options there as yeah. to how you want to how you want to take it in uh, so i chose the dubbed version so when i was looking to the english translation that was in our uh, manga and then what i was hearing there in the anime uh, there was loose translation or i would say a tightening up of the script that happened in the anime that in no way shape or form detracted from the story whatsoever but actually i felt created more clarity in exactly what the character was feeling and saying at any given time. So from that standpoint, I almost feel that the anime is a little more superior to the manga as far as word dialogue choices are concerned. And I think they were able then to take a little more time because, you know, the manga is being developed first and the anime is actually a reflection of that source material. So there is a refinement process that takes place during the anime process. So... From that standpoint, I think you're getting a really great product over on the anime. And that's to take nothing away from the manga because the manga is amazing source mm -hmm. material from it which is. to face the anime off of. I understand yeah. why the anime has been so popular and has received so many streams and has such a devout following. I mean, it's really fanatical mm -hmm. uh, to the it point is. where we, we, now, uh, you know, Asiyama has been coming over to the States here um, to post uh you know pandemic and been doing the convention circuit as they've been you know wrapping up attack on titan and he's finally getting to meet his western fans face to face and it it, 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 it these are fever pitch excited crowds introducing themselves uh going to signings he's very very gracious in signing everything and 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 so appreciative of how deep the fandom is here in the United States for Attack on Titan and how much this work is revered and has really taken a place now as a modern day classic in manga and anime. And, and Doc, if he does nothing more in his lifetime, he will have created something that will ultimately go down as being a classic. Absolutely. In my estimation. Now, just having taken in the first volume of the manga and having viewed the first season of the anime, the, the, no, this it, is this is a real accomplishment here uh, by by a very very gifted artist. Yeah, his 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 legendary status is firmly secured. Like I said, if he does nothing else, if he does end up owning and operating a string of saunas, he is going to be fine. I mean, his, his legend, I mean, he's, he's a legend now. I mean, his, yeah. he is in history and it's great. And, you know, something that I was doing when I was looking through, um, uh, when I was reading this, I wanted to like, see if there was any connection with that whole, with the, with that, with that Japanese style of the, of the kaiju of the giant creatures. Yeah. And I did, I did find, you know, something pretty cool with it that, you know, the, the kaijin, which is translated as strange person. I'm, I'm reading this right off of, uh, of Wikipedia. 
Um, and it's, you know, this refers to a distorted human being or humanoid-like creature, which to me, that sounds exactly like these, uh, these titans because they are very, very humanoid um looking at least um features they have the two arms and the two legs and everything like that so it's i thought it was interesting that there was a connection here with this with this you know with this really traditional um kind of uh genre that goes back decades <laughs> centuries if not um with uh in, in the japanese culture and everything so i thought that was really cool that there you know you could see that little um that little bit of a connection there with with these big especially with that colossus um titan and everything so um it and then a lot of the uh the uh like the the technology that the humans are using to fight these titans reminded me a lot of like the big mech like like in Pacific Rim where they climb into those big robots to fight the uh, the kaiju and things like that so it's it's really interesting it reminded me a lot about those kinds of uh, you know that little crossover there and i thought that was that was a pretty cool connection because they don't have anything in attack on titan like the mech suits but they do have these little packs that make them almost looks like they're walking on air so they can like it's, get up to that level of the neck so they can you know try to bring down these um these uh these titans and everything so i thought that was pretty cool that you know those little connections there and obviously you know the author was just drawing on all these experiences i'm sure he grew up just like all of us did watching godzilla and king kong and mothra and all these great creatures on uh, on saturday afternoon movies and everything and you know it makes it makes an impact and um i love watching seeing all those connections with all different genres yeah doc i i think there's a lot of reverence for Japanese art of the past, particularly mm-hmm. as it relates to creatures and challenges with creatures and taiju and just that f- firm tradition while also at the same time taking a forward-looking yeah. approach to creating a unique world. And, you know, I, I saw elements when I was, I was trying to compare this particular manga to other works that we have, um, read and and then also experienced in anime form and uh, this one is its own thing but 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 i see uh elements of other uh manga here in the um in, in the series uh and um one thing in particular that came to mind was um full metal alchemist and and the reason being is because th- there is both a a futuristic bent with respect to what's going on here on attack on titan but but there's also a a primitive and almost medieval uh bent that's in it and I hesitate to call it even steampunk because it's not quite steampunk either. It's its no, own thing. It so is. You, you, so you truly have the rudimentary going on with you know blades. You you definitely have uh, guns firing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then you also have the employing of technology too in here. So it, it's it's a real interesting mashup going on that can't be pigeonholed into a a certain time in history or a certain place or even a certain genre. It's kind of its own thing, but yeah. being heavily influenced by all of those things that I just mentioned. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, you know, complete so sense. I, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's unfair 
to compare it to anything else, but just kind of accept it as what it is. And this yep. is Asiyama's vision for his world and what is happening here on Attack on Titan with its apocalyptic themes and tones. It's definitely a disaster film in manga form. It is a horror story in manga form. It is a probing into the human experience by placing these humans under massive duress with this existential crisis happening of these titans threatening to wipe them off the face of the earth. And from that standpoint, whenever you put a group of people under a lot of pressure here and a lot of positive pressure at that, meaning to, to survive and to, to, to overcome, you generally get some really good stuff out of it as yeah. a, as a creative. And uh, again, I, I got to stop now or else I'll just go on forever <laughs> praise here on Asiyama and what he has brought us to here uh, with attack on Titan. So Doc, in wrapping up our review here of Attack on Titan, what are your final thoughts here and recommendation to our listeners with regard to Attack on Titan? I, I think the way that you summarized it best was like, he may have a lot of different influences that, that resulted in Attack on Titan, but man, he gives us something wholly unique and something that stands alone by itself. It, you could see maybe elements of other things in there, but he just takes everything and gives it such a really unique spin. It feels like you're looking at it for the first time. Um, I, I think if, you, if you're really into, um, uh, you know, like any of these genres that you just mentioned, horror, big creatures, um, just the, the human drama part of it, the post-apocalyptic thing, which, you know, one thing I loved is like, this is definitely a post-apocalyptic world where the, after the Titans have, have basically destroyed the rest of the world, but we, you don't get those typical um, landscapes of the burned out cities with smoke rising and there's abandoned cars everywhere. There's grass growing through the cars, you know, that, that typical kind of thing um, that you get. It's we, we're just kind of right now, at least through the first three volumes, we're isolated to these this compound with the last remaining human survivors. And it's just it's just so well done because there's so many questions um, that um, that that come up, some of them that are directly you know, that the author himself raises and other ones that just through reading it, you're like, well, what's going on with this? And where is he going to go with this? So it really, really hooks you instantly um, within the first couple pages of this, of, of reading it. And uh, it's just a fantastic, I, I love the mystery of it. I love the, uh, the action, the, um, the, the horror element. I think it's, I think you describing it as that kind of a Cronenberg-esque Titan is, is just perfect because that's exactly what it reminded me of as well. So all these things kind of come together in this really unique, um, uh, in this unique story that uh, you will not be able to put it down. I wasn't. I basically had to put it down because my kids were starving and I had to make dinner. So that's pretty much the only reason I stopped reading after chapter three that first time I sat down for it. But this is something that uh, you'll love. And from what I understand, it's a complete story. So it doesn't get canceled halfway through and you're left wondering what the heck happens here. It is a complete story and uh, that's what makes it fantastic. I, I'm looking forward to continuing on in this. We're Kids. Hey, 